Welcome everybody to Fergar and the Freak. I'm your host, the Glorious League Freak, and they are probably just handing over the trophy now for State of Origin 2. Queensland has wrapped up the series, 32 points to 6. It sounds like a gigantic dominant performance by Queensland. They did very well. They did what they needed to do when they needed to do it. They didn't overplay their hand. They were very very steady throughout the match. You can't take anything away from them. They were well prepared. Uh, they handled the occasion pretty well. I don't think it got to either side, but they handled the occasion very well. And two nothing series win straight out the the gates. Uh, fantastic. And how about Billy Slater? As a coach, he has won his first two series. For a guy that was questioned when he got that coaching role, he's done a magnificent job. He's brought in a lot of people around him that he played with a lot of recently retired players, and they've all been very good at, at their job. They've they've kind of kept the Queensland ship going in the right direction, and that's really what you want out of a coach at the end of the day. Queensland supporters that are listening to this are going to be thinking to themselves at this point, all right, here we go. The New South Wales dude is going to start talking all about New South Wales. It's what always seems to happen. We always seem to focus on New South Wales for some reason in State of Origin. Even when Queensland loses a series like 3 nothing, we just talk about New South Wales. And so I apologize to Queensland listeners because this is going to be a New South Wales heavy episode. But I think in this instance it deserves to be because I do don't think I've seen a coaching performance like this before, especially at rep level. Um, so let's start off. Three minutes into the match, and Tom Trebojevic, he tears his peck. He's out three minutes in. And it was going to be interesting to see how they, they went with the replacements. And they brought on Damian Cook. Now, Damian Cook was starting off the bench. And the idea was they were going to bring him on once all the rough stuff was out the way early on and, and let him do what he does. He's a very good dummy half runner. You want him taking advantage of more tired forwards. Fair enough. But when Damian Cook ran on in the third minute of the match, I was a little bit surprised. I was thinking to myself, what's the plan here? Obviously, Robson, who who started the match at hooker, they're probably going to move him into the back row, and are we going to see Yo out in the centres? Are we, are we going to see Hudson Young move into the centres? I, I didn't quite understand it, but I thought that obviously Brad Fittler, with the bench he selected, would have thought about this coming into the game, because let's face it, Tommy Turbo, he's got the consistency of bloody instant fucking spaghetti. You know, he's going to break pretty easily. But no, Damian Cook, beach sprinter Damian Cook, was played in the centres. And he was played there for 77 minutes. Queensland didn't overplay their hand. Queensland did a really good job of working the breakdown around Damian Cook. Because Cook isn't a centre, and centre is such an important part of your defence, because you've got to be able to read what's going on. You've got to work with the guys inside. You've got to have an understanding with your winger. Damian Cook was lost at sea. 
And I don't blame Damian Cook. He's a hooker. He probably has never played in the centres ever in his life. All he does is beach sprinting and plays hooker. And so it was really obvious early on that this was messing up the New South Wales defence out wide. And even in attack, there was one point where New South Wales made a break down the right-hand side of the field through Crichton. They should have spun it out to the left. And when they went left, it ended up in Damien Cook's hands. Damien Cook did what Damien Cook does. He stepped back in field. He was looking for the weak sent, uh, the weak forwards, you know, the, the ones that were maybe lazy or something. Damien Cook went back to his game. His game is not playing in the centres. He's a hooker. So I can't, I'm not going to blame him. Just the same way I didn't blame Nico Hines in the first game for being put in the centres when once again, Trebojevic got injured. The thing that gets me about this match is how much it looked like game one for New South Wales in attack. And then on top of that, you didn't have that adjustment from Fittler. If he'd made a mistake, if he'd panicked early on and put Cook out in the centres and it didn't work really quickly and he made an adjustment, I said, you know what? He made an adjustment for that. But he didn't. Cook was playing centre right up until the final whistle. I, I, I can't believe it. I just cannot believe how bad that is, especially for a representative coach. Um, I, I don't understand it. I thought it was disgraceful to put a, a wonderful servant like Cook, who is still one of the best hookers in the game. It's been amazing for South Sydney. It's been amazing for New South Wales, and he's been amazing for Australia. And to see him out there struggling and floundering out in the centres, having to go out for high kicks, not knowing what to do in defence, I thought it was absolutely disgraceful from Brad Fittler. I can't believe somebody in the coaching box with Fittler, didn't say to him, you need to make a change here. This is not working. They're carving us up down that side. It was unbelievable. On top of that, New South Wales in the first half had most of the ball. Their attack once again looked extremely clunky. They were very predictable. Once again, they were playing with their halves on different sides of the field, like it was 2001 all over again. You know, a tactic that really is very outdated. Luai playing out wide, I don't understand it. Penrith do the same thing. When Luai gets the ball in the middle of the field, the forwards on the opposition team freak the fuck out. Because his footwork is amazing. He's a very strong ball runner. He also manages to get a, a forward pack freaking out and panicking trying to stop him. But he also is aware of his ball runners around him. When he park him out wide, he really just runs sideways and looks to his outside man. Especially if he hasn't got any inside ball runners, you know, coming back around. It just kills the effectiveness you can have out of him. It was a bit of a similar thing the other side of the field with Mitch Moses. 
You know, Mitch Moses had a couple of good runs early on, uh, ran a couple of times and, and got caught with the ball on the fifth tackle, which it was very early in the game. You know, I thought it might have been the game plan to just keep Queensland on their toes to watch his kicking game. But I'm not going to attack Mitch Moses. I thought he played very similar to Nathan Cleary, quite honestly, in the first game. I thought Robson played very similar to Coruscant in the first game. And that's where it comes down to the coaching. You know, Queensland looked... They, they looked like they'd been together before. And New South Wales didn't. And we said that after the first game, me and Andrew. We said that, you know, how do you get all of these combinations from club level? And they look like they've never played together before. How do you get halves where they're not teaming up and doing things and scheming in the middle of the field? You look at the Queensland side and DCE and Munster are always working together. They're always talking to each other. They're always telling their attackers where they want them to be. You look at the New South Wales team, and it doesn't matter who's playing in the halves for them, you don't see that. And I think that it comes back to coaching. I really do. As I said last game, and I I was tweeting about it during this match as we were all watching it live, I don't think Billy Slater gets Munster and DCE and says, listen, guys, shut the fuck up. This is what I want you to do. I want one of you over that side of the field, one of you over that side of the field. I don't want you to link up at all. I don't want you to worry about playing in the middle of the field. Why would I have my halves trying to work over tired forwards? That sounds stupid. You're going to play to a structure. You're not going to deviate from that structure. I think that's what New South Wales does. Because the halves never work together. And this has been a problem with Brad Fittler coach teams going back since the beginning. I think you could say it's probably an ingrained thing in the New South Wales coaching setup. Because the New South Wales coaching setup is normally set up around a group of people who have all come from a similar system. And they all listen to the same advisors. And I think those advisors are wrong. I really do. And they try to outsmart themselves. They try to pick, you know, remember when we had fucking Clint Gutherson playing in the centres for New South Wales? Just weird stuff like that. Where it's like, oh, I've got this genius idea. You know what? I'm going to play Damien Cook in the centres for 77 fucking minutes. He'll work it out. It's really bad coaching. This is the sort of coaching that you would expect to see in a a test match against Great Britain from like 20 years ago. Not even now. 20 years ago where you would see that the Great Britain coach had no idea. And he had a really bad change that he made and he didn't fix it. And Australia would tear them apart. That's what it reminded me of. I, I, I just can't believe it. I can't believe that professional coaching could be so poor. I can't believe that you would have three games to coach every year. It's not a fucking hard job. 
three games to coach every year, and you've got 18 of the world's best players to coach. And somehow you can make them look like shit. It is fucking unbelievable. You know, Billy Slater, he had the right idea. Come in. You let your veteran players, you know, guide your team around the field. It's their team. It's not your fucking team. It's their team. They're the ones that have to go out and win the game. That we're in a state of origin series where the coaching philosophy for New South Wales in terms of how they use their bench changed so dramatically from game one to game two. And then that bench was used poorly again in game two. Brad Fittler needs to go. And I think his entire coaching staff needs to go. I think the days of having, you know, the Johns brothers chip in, talking to Phil Gould about stuff. Phil Gould hasn't been a coach since the fucking late 90s. I don't know what we're waiting for out of a New South Wales coaching setup that we keep going back to these old fucking ideas. Instead of picking our best players, players in position, we get cute. Pick players out of position, put them on different sides of the field. You know, you look at Toto and Crichton, you're picking them in the same team. And you put them on either side of the field to start the game. What the fuck? What genius come up with that idea? I just can't believe we get to this point in the the whole State of Origin series. And the people that are running New South Wales are still doing these weird fucking things. I don't understand it. It's just, it's really mind-blowing to me. Pick your best players. Pick them in their position. Let your halves run the team. Let your halves and your hooker create something. Instead, we are so set on this weird set game plan that doesn't fucking work. And then we look over at Queensland, who plays a natural style of football, where your halves are in the middle of the field. Sure, they'll go wide if they see something wide, but they're in the middle of the field. They're scheming. They're working your forwards around. Harry Grant's doing his best. Like, Harry Grant, there was one point in the game, and Harry Grant had a bit of a quiet game. But there was one point in the game where Harry Grant was in there at hooker before the ball was played, and he's telling people where he wants them to be. You don't see that for New South Wales. They all sort of, they don't communicate. I don't understand it. I don't understand how you get to this point and your halves and your hooker and even your forwards, even even someone like Isaiah Yo, it's they all look like they haven't played before together. <laughs> there weren't too many players in the New South Wales team that I would even blame this loss on. You know, at this sort of level, if you're very dull in your attacking game, the opposition will just tackle you for forever. Like, New South Wales and Queensland will tackle you for forever. They're, they're the elite players in our game. You have to fuck up. 
New South Wales fucked up, you know, that, then you watch Queensland, who select plays in their correct position, play a natural style of football, and all the commentators are going off saying, oh, they get origin football. I think they just get rugby league. You know, Brad Filler was one of the best players I've ever seen played. He was fantastic. You know, you get this... He, when he came into the league, he was still a schoolboy. Playing in the centres, huge for a centre. He ended up moving into, you know, the halves and then lock. Finished his career kind of going between those two positions. Not too many players have ever been able to do that. But as a coach, man... I don't know what it is. I don't know if he goes back to things he did as a player or systems he was used to as a player. I don't know if he trusts the wrong people for advice. Sometimes a coach just gets a bad idea in the head. Remember when Chris Anderson brought in that really flat style of attack for the Melbourne Storm and it got him a premiership straight away when they come to the competition, 1999 second year and then he took that style of play to the Sharks he even ended up with Brett Kamali who was very good at playing that style of play but the game had moved on since then the game had moved forward it had left that style of play behind but he was so set on playing that flat style of attack and he was so stubborn about it and it kind of he coached himself out of the game. Coached himself out of the NRL. Wasn't that he didn't have the experience. Wasn't that he didn't have the ability to coach a different style of game. Because he had in the past. But he was just so set on this is the way. This is, I know how to win. And this is it. And he didn't adapt. I wonder if there's some of that in this performance by Fittler. Coupled with an inability to make changes on the run. And then when you throw in a, a couple of just mistakes with your selections, like, you know, going into game one, we picked two fullbacks in the centers. One of them didn't even make game one. The other one got injured in game two, uh, in game one as well. Later in the match, Trebojevic got injured. He did the same thing for game two. He, he picked the same dudes, same fullbacks in the centers. And once again, one of them didn't make the game and the other one lasted three minutes. Sometimes it's easier just to pick the best players available in their position and live and die with what turns out. You know, don't get cute. But, you know, New South Wales don't do that. I don't get it. Uh, Lindsay Collins won the man of the match for this game. I, I thought he was very good. Uh, Reese Walsh was very good in this game for Queensland. Obviously, the Queensland halves, they just guided Queensland around the field. It, was, it wasn't some great performance by Queensland. I, and I felt the same way a little bit in game one. I didn't think that the game really reached any great heights. I just feel as though Queensland were more composed and better coached and better selections use their bench a lot better and I don't like to say that New South Wales lost the match 
with their coaching and and that sort of stuff because I think that's unfair on Queensland. But I tell you what, they didn't help themselves. They didn't help themselves at all with how they played, how they come into this series. And I don't understand how you can have a team that's together now for like 20, 20 games leading up to these Origin matches and they still look so out of sorts. Um, a lot of the criticism that was aimed at Nathan Cleary in the first match, and I understood it, but I thought a lot of it was over the top. And I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw a, a lot of similar things said about Mitch Moses, and I understand it, but I think it'll also be over the top. I don't blame Mitch Moses. I thought he, he did about as much as you could expect in this sort of system. Um, James Tedesco. You know, me and Andrew on the podcast have talked about him a little bit this year. The first time I felt I was a little bit worried about James Tedesco was in the World Cup. And I put it down to the English conditions. English play on, well, in England, it's not the English. In England, the the grounds are a little bit softer. It's, It's a bit different for somebody like him that uses his acceleration, his speed and his footwork from the fullback position. It can dull you a little bit. And I put it down to that at the World Cup. He was fine. He he played pretty well. He did the job like most of the Australian players did. But uh, he didn't set the the world on fire. And I think that that form has carried into this year. Father Time beats everyone. Father Time beat Clive Churchill. Okay, Father Time beat Daly Messenger. No one beats Father Time. I think that he's lost a bit of a step. And on top of that, I think because he's lost a bit of a step, he's going back to his comfort zone, which has normally been his fantastic running game. When he was at his best, he was using his running game, but he also had a little bit of a passing game. It wasn't great, but it was there. You don't see that passing game anymore. It's gone. And I think that's because he's going back to, uh, for lack of a better term, his comfort zone. And it means that he's super predictable because losing that half a step, if it even is that, especially at state of origin level, turns him from being the sort of player that if somebody had never watched rugby league before and you showed them a game of state of origin that James Tedesco was in and said, look at this guy from three years ago, they would say, "He's is he one of the best players in the game? Just because of... You could just see it. You're like, you don't have to be trained or have a trained eye or watch the game all the time to see what he's doing is special. Now it's just a little less special and he's come back to the field a little more and he's just easier to handle now. At club level, that's fine. I think he can play another four or five years, honestly. But at this level... And when you look at what someone like a Reese Walsh is doing, who is absolute lightning, does everything at a billion miles an hour, and it's half horrifying every time he gets the ball. Now when Tedesco gets the ball, he's not that horrifying prospect. And that's a problem. And I think this will be his last series because of it. Um And it sucks, but it gets every player. And I'm not saying that he's a terrible player. 
but it is costing New South Wales. Um, I think you would put Dylan Edwards in there at this stage. I think that Tedesco will be picked for game three because that's the sort of shit New South Wales do. And look, I'm not even going to blow up about it, especially seen as the series is over. But I think that probably Dylan Edwards will be the New South Wales fullback um, this time next year. And he's a different sort of fullback. Um, But we'll see what happens there. I think the only other New South Wales player that I really watched that I kind of thought he looked out of place was Hudson Young. I think Hudson Young's an average first-grade player. I don't think he's a representative player, and that's fine. Like, an average first-grade player is a very good player. I don't really rate Hudson Young, um, but I just think at this origin level, it's, you know, you need more than that. You need more than what he gives you. Um, and I was surprised to see him in this this team, to be honest with you. I thought Robson did all right. I thought he did pretty much everything you could have asked from him. Um, there's been a bit of criticism of Luai. I thought much like, you know, Mitch Moses, Luai did about as much as he could. Uh, I saw a little bit of criticism of Crichton and Toto. I, I thought that they did about as much as they could. It, as I said, it's really weird that you get this rock-solid premiership-winning centre-winger you know, mind-meld combination that's incredible defensively and you split them up for your state of origin games. It makes no sense. makes no sense to me. But, you know, a lot of things New South Wales does is... uh, It's so weird and it's disappointing. Um, I come into this series saying I liked the look of the Queensland forward pack a lot more than the New South Wales one. I think that that's played out over the series. They've been fantastic in the middle of the field. Very hard to break down. They just had a really good balance of players. Um, and, and, you know, they were, they were fantastic. I think that New South Wales underutilized Isaiah Yo quite a bit. And I think that a lot of that comes from the way they're using their halves. Like normally an Isaiah Yo would work off the back of his halfback. He does it for, for running off the back of Nathan Cleary a lot. Kind of plays like a second... Uh, five-eighth, which does help link a lot of the team together. When your halves are out, basically standing alongside the centers, then Isaiah goes in the middle of the field trying to do something with his footwork. And at this level of the game, it's going to be very hard for a, a lock forward to break down an opposition team just with his footwork. Uh, Payne Haas was all right. There was a, there was a moment there where he could have showed a little bit more urgency to get the ball and um, and Queensland scored off of that. And you can see he was disappointed with himself, but, you know, he had plenty of mates there. So really disappointing for New South Wales. Uh, they need a full coach clean out. I don't know who you bring in. That's the thing, like... I mean, the the first choice you would probably have is a, you know, do you bring in Ivan Cleary? I don't think it's the sort of job Ivan Cleary would even be interested in. I feel like he's a little bit like a Craig Bellamy where the thrill of the chase is in the premiership. Um, I don't think Craig Bellamy will do it. I, I, I You know, he tried it. 
And I think that he just, he didn't like the whole situation and it wasn't for him. And that's fair enough. You know, would we see someone like a Jeff Tuvey make himself available for the role? Um, I guess Des Hasler's another one. I don't know that Hasler would be the right guy for the job, but at the same time, maybe someone like Hasler is who you want. He's not from that that Gould school of thinking with Origin, which is just so fucking outdated, I can't even believe it. Um, we need to get that influence out of New South Wales, quite honestly. You know, you can go back to the glory days when he was uh, coaching New South Wales to victories. That was the fucking 1990s, man. And we've been going back to that well over and over again, that whole Gould philosophy set up. It doesn't work. <laughs> like, how many times do you want to go back to it and it not work? <clears throat> man, I'm not happy about this. Maybe Jeff Toovey. I don't know. I saw a, a suggestion during the week about they should approach Wayne Bennett. I think Wayne Bennett would tell them to fuck off so quickly. I think that unless they offered him like a million bucks, especially considering that he's got his job there up at the Dolphins, I think Wayne Bennett would say, I'm not going to help New South Wales. As if the great Wayne Bennett, the great Queensland Wayne Bennett, is going to do one single thing to help New South Wales. I saw somebody else say that maybe they should talk to Cooper Cronk. Cooper Cronk should say, fuck off. I'm not doing that. But at the same time, where does New South Wales go? You know, the people in their current coaching setup, I mean, Greg Alexander's in there. He's obviously from the... For, He's part of the the whole Phil Gould situation that we've got going for New South Wales. He's an assistant coach there. People were laughing about, should we get Paul McGregor coaching them? Paul McGregor is actually part of the New South Wales coaching setup. I saw him uh, welcoming Blues players to camp the other week. Uh, the, the John's situation. We need to just remove any John situations out of there. It's ridiculous. Um. I was talking to Jamie in DMs, actually, who's been on the podcast before. She was saying how weird it was that one of the assistant coaches for New South Wales is in the commentary box criticizing the New South Wales players. And I agree completely. I really do. Fucking ridiculous situation. Maybe if you've got a suggestion as to who should coach New South Wales, you can tweet us about it. Fergo Freak Pod on Twitter. Um... Really weird, really weird situation for New South Wales. As I said, I've never seen, especially for State of Origin, I've never seen a coaching situation that is just broken down so badly. And, uh, you know, as we said after game one, I think that some of the success that Fittler has had in his Origin career has been based on having more talent than the opposition. And that talent has covered some of his deficiencies as a coach. People go on about state of origin. Oh, you got it, the origin thing. Queensland gets origin. I think most of the time it comes down to talent. I think this Queensland team is very talented. I think very rarely have we ever seen a state of origin team lose that was more talented. Um, 
and I think the the last time really that jumps out is nineteen ninety five. I think that that's a different scenario, but uh, but yeah, uh, I'm very disappointed as a New South Wales supporter. There will undoubtedly be calls, and, and I've had one of my Twitter followers say this: there'll be calls about should we even play the dead rubber? Well, let me think. It's going to make a many, 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 many millions of dollars. It's going to make, make like tens of millions of dollars. I think they're going to play the third game, hey? Yeah. Anyway, you can follow the Fergo and the Freak pod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter, League Freak, no spaces. You can find me on Instagram, the glorious League Freak, no spaces. That's not really rugby league feed, though. Uh, go to my website, leaguefreak.com. Go to Andrew's website, Rugby League Project. We both run just incredible websites. Uh, also, check out my Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash leaguefreak with no space there. Um, if you enjoy listening to the podcast or you go to the website or whatever and you want to contribute anything, um, feel free to have a look at the the tiers that are there. As I say, this. Is more tier, what do I say? Is it more tiers than West Tigers supporters have? Something like that. Um, it's up to you. You don't have to join up if you don't want to, but all of the expenses from that going to podcast hosting, website hosting. I've got a hundred million different like website addresses that I keep having to pay for. It's ridiculous. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope I haven't sworn too much in this episode. Um, if this is your first time listening, subscribe. And we'll catch you in the next episode, which I'm sure will be in the next couple of days. Bye-bye.